And if you have a Bible, if you'd like to turn back to Psalm 63, or I'm going to be reading from the Visitor's Bible, which I believe, although I notice that the font in Bibles gets smaller and smaller each month, it seems. It's on page 479, 479. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Well, just um, before I start, and at the risk of making this sound like a, an Oscar speech, um, I, I really want to thank you, Jen and I want to thank you for the, the very kind and welcome um, that you've given to us uh, since we moved from Southeast England, Kent, up here about six months ago now. And there's no reason at all why you should necessarily know this, but when a a minister in the Church of England retires, um, normally he not only gives up the ministry that he's known and loved and the people he's known and loved, but he has to leave the accommodation that he's enjoyed for many, many years. And the guidelines suggest, and there's, there's probably wisdom to this, that he and his family ought not to live in the same community. That's helpful for one successor, which does make a retirement, at least after many, many years, um, a, a tad awkward. And there were moments or two when I thought, you know, I think this whole retirement thing is overrated. And that's why your welcome and kindness to us has meant a great deal. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David's prayer in verse 1 of Psalm 63 is very, very intense. There's raw emotion here. So we could well ask, are we eavesdropping onto a conversation that really we're not meant to hear? I suppose we could feel that, and we could feel slightly awkward overhearing David's words, but Psalm 63 rings, it echoes, I think with with many of our experiences. Now, when I say that, to be sure, you and I are not King David. We're, We're not even ancient Israel. 
following Israel's king. But from time to time, not all the time, from time to time, it can sometimes feel like you and I are in a type of wilderness. It's not unusual. It is not unusual to find ourselves thirsting for God's help for ourselves, for our family, for our friends, for our church, and for our world. That actually is actually normal spirituality. That's a normal Christian walk. Ironically, however, it is precisely in desperate situations where you and I can begin to question. Am I right to ask God for help? Have I in some way brought these troubles onto myself and God is letting me just stew in them for a while? Or I, I know God has been faithful and caring in the past, but is he faithful right now? But the answer, the answer wonderfully is given to us actually in the gospel. This is where we have to apply the gospel to ourselves. The good news of Christ Jesus. And as the Lord Jesus fulfills, completes, um, gives the whole meaning of the Old Testament to us. He actually fulfills and gives the meaning to Psalm 63. And the Lord Jesus invites us to use David's words in our own experiences, but with an assurance that is actually far greater than that which even David knew. You see, as Christ fulfills Psalm 63 in his own earthly experience, culminating in his death and resurrection, he not only fulfills it, but he gives you an entry into Psalm 63 for yourself when you enter a possible wilderness. So we're, we're not actually eavesdropping at all. We're meant to hear these words. So four things. First, hear David first plead to God. Secondly, praise God's love. Thirdly, remember God's help. And fourthly, hear David rejoice in God's triumph. So first of all, verse one, hear David plead to God. Now from what we can tell, David is in the desert of Judah. It is most likely, we're not entirely sure, it's most likely when he is fleeing or has fled from uh, Jerusalem. One of his sons, Absalom, orchestrated a coup d'etat, or tried to at least. And that's why David is fleeing. He is fleeing from his son, and therefore he is facing considerable danger. And that is why, in part, in part, he earnestly seeks God in verse 1. This is why, in part, he pleads to God in this psalm. Now, I accent and say the word, uh, the words in part for a reason. You see, David pleads to God not just because he is in peril, but because he has a previous past experience seeing God help him. See how in verse 1, David calls him my God. My God. He pleads for help because he knows God alone can answer and has experienced that in the past. 
David pleads with God out of his experience of God's, verse 2, power and glory from past experience. God's steadfast love is better than life, declares David in verse 3. You see, David knew in verse 7, you have been my help. So past experience gave him confidence in present crisis. Uh, Think about it. If, If God isn't who he is, if he isn't powerful and glorious and steadfast in love, there'd be no reason for David to to seek this God's help. But precisely because God is who he is and has been who he has been to David, that's why David cries out. Not just because he's in trouble. Now, stay with with me here for a moment, if you will. As you hear Psalm 63, as you read it, How may you be sure, how may you be sure that God the Father hears you in times of trouble? It is because he is who he is. He has promised you. He has promised you that he will in and through Christ, if you have come to him by faith, there is forgiveness in him. For you. In him, there is now no charge standing against you if you have come to him. In him, there is mercy and faithfulness for you. This is who God is. Well, how can you be sure your pleading will meet a caring response? I mean, how can you be sure of that? It is because Christ himself experienced the wilderness the attack of enemies, the the weariness of thirst. And he did all of this for his people. And if you come to him, you are one of his people. He did that for you. And he cares for his people as the Father cares for his people. I mean, this is who God is. And how can you be sure, even when at the moment, and, and maybe this is the case for one or two, when you have been pleading, you have been seeking, And at the moment, at least, there seems to be no answer. How can you be sure that you've just not hit radio silence from God? It is because he's promised that through his spirit, and the spirit assures you the gospel is no false promise to women and men. It's not counterfeit, and it's no waste of your time and life. As the saying goes, As we pray in Christ, a delay is not a denial. So keep going. As you hear, secondly, hear how David secondly praises God, verses 2 to 5. Look down with me. You see, David describes in verse 2 how his intense pleading or seeking God drove him into worship and praise. I mean, somehow, it is in praising God that David actually gains an increased assurance. I mean, how how is that possible? Again, look carefully at verse 2. David says he gained this um, crucial assurance in what he calls, well, at least the way our English Bibles translate it, he gained this as he was in the sanctuary. Now, the Hebrew expression there, while it, it indeed is often translated as 
sanctuary. More commonly, it's actually related to God's um, holiness, his separateness, and his sacredness. Whatever way we translate the word, the, the key point is this. David praises God and has experienced that in seeing God's holiness, his sacredness, and it's that which strengthens David, and, and that leads David to praise God. Specifically, David praises or worships, in verse 2, do you spot it? God's power and glory. But here's the thing. David saw God's glory and power not so much in terms of conquering might or fearful strength, but rather in verse 3, your steadfast love. God does have the power to help uh, David, and of that he has no doubt, which is why he will plead at the end of the psalm for the power and might of God to defeat David's enemies. What moves David so much, though, is, is not so much God's unbridled might, but his steadfast love. What moves David to bless God as long as David lives and to lift his hands up in praise is God's love. Verse 4, his covenant keeping, steadfast, never ending, you can't get to the bottom of it kind of love. I mean, here's David's confidence. Confidence deeply satisfying in verse 5 like a splendid banquet. So David praises with joyful lips, verse 5. There is something about praise and worship. Or more specifically, it's not so much the acts of praise and worship, but the God whom we do praise and worship. And it seems that with greater knowledge of God, in David's case, this experience in the sanctuary, the greater the knowledge of God, that inevitably and wonderfully leads to greater praise of God. But for you, for you, if you are united to Christ, and that comes by, by, by simply saying, Jesus, you're the one I need. You're the one who cares for me, who died for me. I, I trust you. Where for you is this, what's the word, sanctuary, where you can see and know for yourself, even this morning, for example, the power glory and steadfast love of the Lord. Is that just an Old Testament thing? Is there a sanctuary for you? The answer is yes. Yes. It, it, and again, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in Christ, there and in whom you see the holiness of God, the power of God, and the love of God for his people. We see more clearly, this is audacious to say, we see more clearly what David in comparison could only glimpse from a distance. In recent weeks, Rupert has been taking us into John's Gospel. And in John's Gospel, what have you beheld? We've been seeing Jesus' steadfast love for broken people, troubled people, guilty people, and lost people. We've been seeing that he is our assurance. He is our assurance. Seeing his absolute power over evil and death, 
you do see his ability to help you. He is our help in the wilderness through which we, we may from time to time pass because he has, both, he has both the ability to help us and the steadfast love to help us. And the clearest display of all of this is in his death for us. Here is his love. And as we see and hear, we can praise the Father and the Son. And praise is, is not our attempt to manipulate God or flatter him so that he will do what we ask him to do. Rather, we praise him because to praise and worship the triune God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to praise is what, well, how did C.S. Lewis put it? Uh, praise is inner health made audible. See, when a woman or a man praises the one true God, that's what she or he was made to do. That's at last true humanity. It's not just a spiritual thing. At last, that's what we were always created to do, to praise and to enjoy him forever for who he is. When people praise God for who he is and how he loves, well, there comes satisfaction and genuine joy. But I, I ask myself, and I confess I, I do ask it. Is all, this, is all this true? See, I'm no longer paid to say that. <laughs> now I really can't ask the question. Is this true even in difficult times? Isn't the difficulty we meet when in dry, weary, and waterless lands, is all this true? Well, let's hear David thirdly, very carefully. Let's hear him remember God's help verses 6 to 8. Even in the middle of the night when sleep escapes him, something to which some of us in this room can probably well relate. Even in the middle of the night, David remembers in verse 6, or actually the word is meditates, on the Lord's faithfulness to him. That, that, that keeps him going in the present trouble. You have been my help, verse 7. In verse 8, your right hand upholds me. I think a way we could describe it is, is, is David is ministering to himself by remembering God's past faithfulness. Now, I don't want to over-egg the custard. I don't want to make a, a big deal out of this. But I think there's something for us here. It's all the more so as we, we remember God's faithfulness and help to us in Christ. When you are in, a, uh, in life's parched, dry, waterless land or when you are in any kind of crisis, look back, look back and remember. Don't lapse into amnesia or kind of memory loss. Remember Christ's faithfulness to you. I mean, isn't, ultimately, isn't this one of the many aspects of the Lord's Supper? It's, we can touch it, we can taste it. It's not just then though. Remember, as you look back at your life in Christ, of his kindness to you, protection and goodness to you. When you look to him, you, you will remember past answered prayers, past provisions, and, and past forgiveness. It was a 17th century Puritan writer and pastor, Richard Baxter, 
who wrote in Declining Health shortly before he, his death. Listen to this, quote, Never, never did God break his promise to me or forsake me. And shall I now distrust him at the last? Close quote. This is, how, this is one of the many ways the Lord by his spirit helps you here and now by calling to, to, to your mind, yes, I do remember that. But one last significant point to hear and take to heart. In verses 9 to 11, here David rejoice in God's triumph. Now, if you look down at verses 9 to 11, I, I, I have to confess, in one sense, David's language here makes us step back a bit, doesn't it? I mean, the thing about jackals and perishing enemies. Yeah, he paints a rather graphic picture of his enemy's downfall. Even more striking, isn't it, if it's including his own son. But bear with me on this final point. I realize it might have a sense of midair um, turbulence for us. But again, let's try to hear carefully what David is saying in Psalm 63. But do remember, first off, David's enemies, David's enemies are not just ordinary enemies. This is where our Bible overview is immensely helpful. They are enemies. David's enemies are Enemies of God's anointed king, his Messiah. And this is where David's unique identity is very, very important for us to appreciate. Because you see, to attack the Lord's Messiah, king, is actually ultimately to attack God himself. I mean, Psalm 2, for example, will tell us how serious of a problem that is. The significance of what David proclaims is actually, though, in the final line of the psalm. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. You see, David here is trusting that one day, somehow or other, God will vindicate David. Because that's what God has promised to do. God promised that he will vindicate his anointed Messiah. And, and when David hopes for that triumph, he's not just being self-focused. This is, the, this is the wonderful news here. He knows that when God's anointed king is vindicated, guess who else will be vindicated? The king's people. All who place their trust in God's Messiah, they too, as the Messiah is rescued and triumphant, they will somehow or other participate in this victory and in this triumph. In other words, God's triumph of his Messiah one day will be all that his people had hoped for and even more. And I, I wonder, I wonder if our generation of the church, followers of Christ, I wonder if, I wonder if we've lost sight of this. Uh, there are probably many reasons uh, for this loss. I mean, I think... <laughs> the sheer demands of modern life uh, in our country necessitates our attention to the here and now, our work, our families, our ministries, um, our finances, our, our health. They demand that we pay attention to what's going on right here and now. 
And I, I think equally, I think, I, I think quite rightly, we're rather nervous about a form of Christianity that is, well, it's really nothing more than personal escapism from society's troubles and broken ways. We're anxious to avoid being, quote, so heavenly-minded we're of no earthly good. But that's a flawed statement. It's a very flawed statement. In fact, it is precisely those who are heavenly-minded who are of profound good to this earth. And David longs for God's triumph in Psalm 63. So the faithful church of Christ today should be longing for Christ's coming victory. Even in all sorts of challenges and conflicts, the hope, the certain hope of a triumphant future, that actually shapes the present-day act of living, caring, serving, witnessing, and loving. If the future was not certain, why why would we bother in the present? I mean, the persecuted church today, who are our brothers and sisters, the persecuted church today depends upon the certainty of a future. In union with Christ by faith in him, they too share in the promised coming joy of the king. Even in dreadful situations, they know they are the Lord's people. They trust King Jesus will one day triumph over all who oppose him and his followers. And that's why they witness and serve and care right here and now. And I think this is my point. You and I are also meant to live in light of a certain triumph of God's king. And that, it's okay if you ask this, but that is not escapism. It's actually facing real life. Even when it feels like a dry, weary, and waterless land, trusting in the coming triumph of God and his Christ is what gives you meaning and significance and hope and confidence right here and now. And how can you be sure of that? Christ's resurrection from the dead. That is the first and glorious display of the power of this coming victory. In fact, it is the first fruit, says the Apostle Paul, of a triumph to come in which we will all participate. Now, I recognize that waiting for all this doesn't come without its moment-by-moment challenges, but it also comes with comfort and strength from the Lord right here and now. I mean, even now in Christ, we too can say, as in verse 1, you are my God. You are my God. Even now in Christ, we can see the power and glory of God. Even now in the risen Christ and the poured out gift of God the Holy Spirit, we can experience, we, we can experience God's steadfast love. Even now we can rest securely under the wings of his protection. And this isn't wishful thinking. Thankfully, it's not wishful thinking. Even now, we can praise God and experience a kind of satisfaction that we, that's almost hard to describe. So, come back to Psalm 63, because there's, there's more to hear than might first uh, meet our ears. 
Well, probably like, like a number of others of you, well, I know this to be the case because I follow you on Twitter. I know that you and I, we've wasted a lot of time on Twitter this week. And I found it rather deflating uh, comments about war, economies, governments, climate change, and sort of the revolving door of a property in central Westminster. But to my surprise and delight, um, something posted by, does the name Dane Ortland? Does that ring a bell to some of you? You may have read his splendid book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, but something he posted jumped out at me. Listen to this, what he, what he tweeted. I think that's the verb, isn't it? Tweeted, tweeted, quote, God knows sometimes we are so empty and distraught, we feel like we can't even open up a Bible. That's why he gave us the Psalms. It's what you read in the Bible when you feel like you can't read the Bible. Close quote. Psalm 63. We are meant to hear David's words. In fact, we're invited to use David's words to express our needs and the needs of our loved ones, the needs of our church, the needs of our society and our world. But we, we don't stop with David because it is Jesus who takes these words as his own and then takes us into his words to the Father. You see, remember, Jesus pleaded to the Father, praised the Father's love, remembered the Father's help, and rejoiced in the Father's triumph. He did so for his people, for you and me, even in those times, and especially in those times, when we are in a dry, weary, and waterless land. Amen.